0: Amen. Men, you may be seated and open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel today as we continue a journey on what God, Jesus taught me in the Old Testament. have been working through the Old Testament, particularly landing on what we'd call the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant has been teaching us a few things, and today it's going to be teaching us about this. This is the teaching for today. Even in the darkest times... Jesus is still working. Even in the darkest times, Jesus is still working. Week one, we talked about the idea that the, when the glory of God shows up, you can't help but be moved spiritually or physically. Last week, we talked about the idea of traveling with Jesus or the glory of God. It's always been that way. Jesus wants to be with us, He wants to be our companion. And talking about the difference between the or light and the may or light. The or light being something that, a light with no understandable source. And the may or being something that is understandable. And we, as people, want the facts. We want the truth. We want to be able to see God. But yet God is one of those uh, types of things that we can't explain, like a or light. It it it's, it shines in the darkness and has no source that is seeable. Not like a light bulb, something that is like a miracle. I've uh, got this pack of matches uh, in my pocket. Remember back in the '80s, these were pretty popular, right? For other reasons. Um, and as a, as a kid, I was always perplexed how how to do this. I mean, my parents weren't big fans of me playing with matches, so I always used to keep it hidden. And, uh, you know, there was always some sort of magical, it's been probably 10 years since I've done this. I mean, lit a match. How many people have lit a match and just, like, been amazed at what, what actually occurs? Like, I'm just, I see if I can do this. I see. Oh, I did it. Like, it's a crazy. That unique smell, too, right? Right? Were you ever captivated by this as a child? There's something about a match that makes you go, hmm, "How'd that happen? Does anybody know the chemistry behind lighting a match? You know, because what what captivated me as a, as a child is I can take this match and light it on this sandpaper, but no other sandpaper. Like there's some matches that that were, were uh, the type of matches you can strike anywhere matches, right? Those were kind of unique. Do you know what the common factor? It's a chemical. Does anyone shout it out if you know it? What's the chemical that makes matches happen? Phosphorus. We're going to talk a little bit about phosphorus today. We're going to tie it all together to how Jesus does work in the darkest of places. How Jesus continues to work in the darkest of places. First Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Remember we talked about the idea of kabod um, or kavod. Remember what kavod meant? Kavod was the glory of God. And Ichabod was, Ichabod, do you remember what Ichabod was? When the glory wasn't present. When the glory departed. The glory has departed. We're going to catch up on that story in 1 Cham- Samuel chapter 4. Um, begin reading at verse 1. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Ephek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Here's a key factor. We learned a little bit about this idea last week. When we are not traveling with God in our hearts and our minds, there is something that occurs to us as human beings. There's a separate or separation that happens between us and God, and things don't go as well as we would hope or plan. Now, there's a certain learning here that's really important. Do you ever find yourself in a situation? You know, you're not traveling with God, you're trying to do it on your own, and things just aren't working out. This is what's happening with the Israelites here. They're having a battle with the Philistines, and things don't go as planned. And then they discovered something key. Maybe it's because we didn't bring the Ark of the Covenant with us. But here's lesson one. When we're trying to do something with God and then reach out to him to actually achieve that certain thing, when all along we have not been reaching out to God in just a daily practice, a lot of people call this kind of like a vending machine type of God. You've heard this said before, where you only go to God when you need something. And this is what the Israelites are doing in this situation. They're losing the battle or have lost the fight, and so they go for the vending machine God, that aspect of things. Verse 4, so the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought the, back the Ark of the, God, Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned. Between the cherubim. We talked about that. Remember, just bring that picture up again, Ashley, of the ark. The cherubim, these two angels and their wings spread over top of this. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout and the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what's all the shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians... With all kinds of plagues in the desert, be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his own tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of the God was captured. Wait a minute. Didn't the Israelites do the right thing? Didn't they reach out to God when they needed him the most? Or did they just treat him as a vending machine God? Now, we jump to conclusions on this one just a little bit. You know, God allowing this to happen, maybe. God must not really care about them. And then we jump to our own conclusions when we don't see God working. God must not really care about me either. When I reach out to him, he doesn't answer. God must not be real. God has abandoned me. Or, for our lesson today, maybe God is just teaching you something. In these situations where we find that God really doesn't care, God must not be real, or God has abandoned me, maybe God is teaching you something in this. Verse 12. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and, and went to Shiloh. His clothes torn and dust on his head. When, the, they, when he arrived there was Eli sitting on his chair. Now, Eli's kind of the priest at the time. He's like the, the highest of highs. At the, he's, the, he's like the king, but they have no king at this point. But Eli's that guy. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes were set so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Israelites and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. I don't know why I threw that in. <laughs> but they did. He had led Israel for forty years. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant nearly the time of delivery when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. She went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by labor pains, and she was dying. The woman attending her said, don't despair. You have given birth to a boy or to a son, but she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the death of her father-in-law and her husband she said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured I want to pray in this moment as we begin to have conversation around what this really means to us personally so father thank you for thank you for you being real And God, there are many times in our own lives where we don't even recognize your reality. Sometimes, Father, we are in such dark places and we live in a dark world that we can't even see you. And so sometimes because of that, we we have a hard time believing in you. God, so I, I pray that as we go through this conversation, that we begin to see that when we don't see you, when we don't feel you, that you are working to defeat our enemies in a more powerful way than we can ever understand. Help us see that and believe that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ichabod, the idea that the glory has departed Israel, and a lot of us feel that way. We do feel in North America particularly as as things kind of be taking a little bit of a downward trajectory as far as religion in Canada, spirituality in Canada, that things are taking a downward turn. Like the glory has departed from Israel. God keep our land is now something that we kind of just sing in a national anthem. Dark times in our lives. I do believe that this is the case in a lot of the world right now. I believe that God has done something that He said He would do in Romans. If you recall, what Paul says in Romans is is something along these lines in verse 1, verse 24. Or, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, the Ichabod situation's happening, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over and the sinful desires of their hearts to all kinds of things that were not of God. The Ichabod situation that Israel finds themselves in in this story. Ichabod is talking about how the glory or the ark of God has departed from Israel, and it goes off. It's no longer in that place called Israel. We live in a broken world in dark times. If we look In all the wrong places for God we will not find him, but he will be hard to find. But it does not mean that he is not working. Back to First Samuel chapter five, and let's continue the story. Verse five verse chapter five verse one. I'm gonna read through this because I really feel important not to summarize this I want the Bible to speak for itself in the, in this situation and begin to see how our enemies will be defeated when we do not feel, see, or hear from God. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it to Ebenezer, or took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into the into Dagon's temple and set it before beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early in the next day, there was Dagon. Now, Dagon is their god. He's the one that they believe in, that he's going to be the one to rescue the Philistines. Sitting beside the Ark of the Covenant, now remember the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence. God's presence now is in the temple of Dagon, and this is what powerfully happens. When the people of Ashdod rose early in the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken. And they were and, and broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, the, neither priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple to Ashdod step on the threshold. Their God is broken. Why are there, is their God broken? Because our God was doing something about it. He was working in dark places. He was working in a place that that the Israelites could not see him. So we all have enemies in our life, right? We all have those demons within us that draw us away from a feeling that God exists. And this is the situation that I believe we can throw ourselves into. We all have our dagons. Verse 6. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod, and in its vicinity, not only did he bring de- devastation on Dagon, he brought devastation upon them and inflicted them with tumors. All right, let's pause for a second here. Bible's got a little bit of a humor. Uh, this word, uh, go ahead and put it up, Ashley. Uh, Baalphalim. Baalphalim is, is the word they use for tumors here. But these, this word for tumors, um, now we have the kind of the PG version of the translation, the, we don't really want to go too deep into this because this is, you know, there's places in our anatomy where the sun doesn't shine, right? This particular tumor is particularly maybe describing a certain little tumor that provides some unhealthy benefits, particularly uh, to one region of the body. Um KJV puts it this way, the King James Version, maybe a little bit more, PG-13. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them and Ashdod, and he destroyed them, and smote them with emirods. Does that sound familiar? Emerods? Might rhyme with hem roids. Even Ashdod, you know, if you really look at this word up on the screen, the easy translation of it is hills in the groin. Hills in the groin. God is interesting. If he's gonna defeat our enemies, he'll do it with hemorrhoids. <laughs> Sounds fair. Now, if you have been afflicted with this type of disease, I don't know if it's God working on you or not, but it might keep you up at night. First Samuel chapter five, verse seven. When the men of Ashdod saw that this was happening, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us and dag on our God. Here's the powerful thing. These guys don't believe in God, but they do. They understand that God is working. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, have the ark of God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of God of Israel. But after they moved it, the Lord's hand was against the city, throwing into a great panic. He inflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. Ekron. As the Ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought the Ark of God of Israel around to, uh, to us and, and kill, us for, um, kill us and our people. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the Ark of God uh, of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people. For death has filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy upon it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors. That's a lot of tumors. And the outcry of the city went up to heaven. So here's the key thing. While you think all is lost, God is still working. I hope you understand this. I hope you understand that when you don't feel God, when you don't hear from God, when you don't see God, God is still doing something in the darkness. Chapter 6. When the Ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months. Here's a crazy thing about seven months. A lot of times when scripture writers put something in, you know that terminology, you know, in a few days, in a couple of days, you know, you, we have terminologies that aren't accurate to the actual timeline. You know I'm talking about? You know, uh, a few years ago or things like that. Sometimes we say things that uh, create a timeline, but the timeline also speaks to something else. Seven is a really important terminology here. Seven is the idea that... God has been doing something for these seven months. The number seven was understood in ancient Israel to suggest three things. Completeness, perfection, and consummation. Some have suggested that seven was the perfect work of God. In addition to stating the number of months the ark was in Philistine hands for the purpose of making a more complete historical record, the writer was apparently making a symbolic statement such as When the time of exile allotted by God had been fulfilled, meaning when God figured out that I've done just enough work in the darkness, such a secondary message would have been particularly relevant to the readers. They would have read the seven months ago. Oh, I get it. It's not clear if this temporal note is a round calculation of time or it's described as a delay between the world's. But something is happening in this seven months. In the grand scheme of history, seven months is probably not a vast stretch of time that God had been separated. However, given the emeralds in the secret parts of the Philistine physiology, the emphasis in, um, in this is that there's a con- considerable stretch of time that has elapsed since the capture of the ark. Now, seven months with hemorrhoids, probably isn't a whole lot of fun. But seven months without God might feel like an eternity to some. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13. Let's move down just for a second. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up, they saw the ark. They rejoiced at its sight. The ark is returned to Israel. Now here's what's interesting about how the ark is returned to Israel. If you want to go back and read verses 1 through 12 a little bit later, I'll just summarize it with this. So the Philistines think to themselves, it's really meant to be. If, if God is really in this, then the ark of the God will make its way back to Israel. So what they do is they put the ark on a um, on a wagon, sort of thing, and they hitch it to two um, female cows these, that have just given birth to calves. They tie the calves up, and the instinct of a mother cow is to never leave its calves. So they hitch these mother cows to the Ark of the Covenant, and they say, if it's really meant to be these the, these cows, will get it back to Israeli ter- territory. Calves, with their wine going on, see their mothers depart with this Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant just goes. It goes back into Israel. And something happens in verse 13 that I believe we can all relate to when we see God again for the first time in a long time. Now the people of Besh were out harvesting their wheat, and when they looked up, they saw the Ark. They rejoiced at the sight. I wonder what that would have been like. Well, sometimes I don't actually wonder what that would have been like. I felt what that's like. I felt those times where I, I had this season of time, seven months in my life maybe, I don't know, but a season of time where I didn't feel God, hear from God, and I felt in a dark. I felt in that place, and I don't think I'm the only one in this room that has felt those times of sadness. And maybe you're in that time right now. Maybe you're in a dark season of your life right now. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. For those who were in distress in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on the living in the land of the shadows of death. The light has dawned. It wasn't seven months, but it was three days. It was three dark days. these ladies and these ladies struggled with this darkness knowing there was potentially no hope the Ichabod of life the glory of God has been hung on a cross and now buried in a tomb chapter 20 of John explains it this way early the first day of the week while it was still dark that's key this whole message you may be in that dark place, but while it is still dark, Mary and Magdalene went out to the tomb and saw the stone was moved from the entrance. So they came running to Simon, Peter, and, and the other disciples, and one, the one Jesus loved, and they said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him, Ichabod. We don't know where God has gone. So, Peter and the other disciples started, started for the tomb. Both were running. Both. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, the, and the strips of linen were lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the buried cloth, cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Picture that scenario in the darkness. Jesus no longer there. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. We live in a present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, Paul says, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Let us do something special. The idea that night is always darkest before the dawn is a pretty popular cultural term. It's an expression that we use. And I don't know about you, but when you wake up for sunrise, there is a slumber. There is so much darkness that overcomes us. And that same darkness existed with the glory of God in Genesis chapter 1. That same darkness in the beginning when God created the heaven and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then God began to work. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And that's when there was light. When God said, let there be light those moments when we feel the most broken, those moments when we feel like giving up, those moments when we feel like God has left us, the Ichabods of our lives, everybody in this room has had them. They've all had those dark seasons. They've all had those seasons where they just wish there was a light. And there is a possibility. As we think about the match and we light the match, we think about how in the world does this happen, these moments where we feel most broken, for a matched light, there needs to be something that occurs. There is phosphorus within the sandpaper of a matchbox. This phosphorus is a powerful element, this chemical element that just brings light to a broken situation when you break a match over phosphorus the red phosphorus turns to a white phosphorus when the white phosphorus interacts with the oxygen it mixes with the chemicals of the match and creates light there is something powerful in a match that happens that we have no idea how because we're not that intelligent but when the red phosphorus mixes with into the grit there is something that happens first it's friction When you strike a match against the striking surface, friction generates heat. Next is ignition. The heat from the friction causes a small amount of red phosphorus in the striking surface to undergo a chemical reaction. This reaction converts the red phosphorus to white phosphorus, and then the white phosphorus reacts with the oxygen, and then there's sustained combustion. That's the same with our spiritual lives. When brokenness occurs, something happens, and you're probably wondering, what in the world does Pastor Brian have to do with chemistry in this whole situation. In the darkest times of our lives, something occurs. Remember what happened when the ark of God is coming back into Israelite territory? There is a rejoice, and they see above. There's something happening. What is that? That's God. He's coming back. In our darkness, God is working. And then there's a moment do you know when it comes to sunrises, there's something that happens before the sunrise? There's this one particular star. Do you know what it's called? Venus. And a lot of times throughout a certain season of, of the year, there's one light that appears in the darkness. Venus appears first. It's the first star. And then the sun follows afterwards. Venus gives hope that the sun is coming. Venus, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. This is a story that I read the other day and it just opened my eyes up to this whole understanding of sunrise. I'm going to finish off with this verse. where These men blaspheme in the matters they do not understand. They're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct. This darkness is happening. Just trying to find it here. So... reaching a dark point in my life right now trying to find the scripture <laughs> glad you guys are patient it's 1st peter is it 1st peter am i am i why did i put 2nd peter thanks i always do one error every day and this is it 1st peter is it, so is it 1st peter chapter 12 1 verse 12 right It is so exciting, too. Somebody's going to, yeah, all right. Is it four? Thanks. There it is. Yes, it is. All right, so dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, darkness. Thank you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed if you are insulted because of the name of Christ you are blessed for the spirit of glory and the god rests on you if you suffer it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler however if you suffer as a christian do not be ashamed but praise god that you bear the name for it is, in time, it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and it begins with us. What will be out, the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will. That was not it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. All right, I'm just going to summarize quickly. We'll find it later. But here's the scripture that we really want to is about this morning star, Venus. Morning star, if you translate morning star, and it is in there in Peter. You'll find it later. Somebody will smack me upside the head. Brian, it was this scripture verse. But the scripture translators use morning star. Morning star is Venus. Venus is the first star that arises after the darkest dawn. The Greek for morning star is phosphorus. Phosphorus being phosphorus, light bringer. Phosphorus is a powerful element that can light a match and that can change darkness into light. And phosphorus is Jesus himself. Interestingly enough, phosphorus is also in our DNA. So not only is it in a match box, But in summary, phosphorus is the integral part of the structure of our DNA. It forms the backbone of the DNA molecule. And if you translate that to, to, to the morning star and then see Jesus in that, everything in our life is held together by Jesus. Like a matchbox, when brokenness happens, there is a reaction. And that reaction sustains a light. After 400 years of darkness, Jesus appears in the world through John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He appears as the light of the world, the phosphorus, the morning star. Through all of the challenges that even I just faced up here just now, there is a light that dawns even though you feel like you're going through the darkest of times in your life, God is doing something in the darkness, and he will reveal himself in the light. No matter how dark the world gets, the morning star, the phosphorus, Jesus is always going to rise. I'll pray as the worship team comes forward. Father, it's interesting how you work. You go back to the story of Dagon and where this whole conversation began. You have to sometimes do work in the dark spots of our own lives to prove that you are real. But sometimes in those situations, we don't even see you. So God, I pray for the people that are going through those circumstances right now, that they feel darkness. I pray that they know that even in the darkest times, there will always be the morning star. There will always be the phosphorus. And it's in the brokenness of our darkness that the phosphorus does its work and rises become the Son of Man, to become the bringer of light, and the sustainer of all things we call life. Thank you, Jesus, for the morning star and the phosphorus. In Jesus' name.